This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Just let grace speak true. This is the kingdom. You're listening to the End Campaign's Church Politics Podcast, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a biblical worldview. We're not trying to be progressive or conservative. We're trying to be faithful Christians in the public square. This is the kingdom. The kingdom. We took a little break, but we're back like we left some. What's going on, Ann Camp? You're listening to the Ann Campaign's Church Politics Podcast with Justin Gibney. That's me and the Witty, Windy City representative, the baddest brother above the Mason-Dixon line, the right reverend, Christopher Butler. How is the summer treating you, brother? Oh, the summer uh, has been great. And uh, I'm doing real well. Uh, it was good to see you here in Chicago a few weeks ago. How's the rest of the summer going for you? It's going well, man. Uh, I, I was in Chicago for quite a while. We became uh, urban kayakers together. So we got the family <laughs> together and got to hang out a little bit. Uh, but it's been good, man. But I'll be honest with you, man. I, I am happy to be back. Uh, I got it got a chance to travel a little bit. Uh, there are a lot of people who listen to the Church Politics Podcast. So shout out to all y'all. And I'm just glad to get to be back and to get back into it. One of the things that I got to do, and I know you're aware of this, is I got to go to the launch event for Ann Campaign's Denver chapter. And man, let me tell you, they did an excellent job, had a diverse group of folks out there ready to listen and learn and really get active in the city of Denver, which is my hometown. Yes. So I got to return home, uh, say what's up to some people that uh, I hadn't seen in a long time, get some of the food that I, I hadn't had in a while. And so it was it was good. And then the beauty of this is, I mean, it's popping on the on the on the chapter end of what's going on with Ann campaign because we got another launch in Sandy, uh, San Diego uh, this Saturday on the 24th. So if you're in San Diego, you need to check that out. Then again, we're going to Detroit. And so on uh, Saturday, July 31st, we have another chapter launch in Detroit. So it's getting real around here, man. And uh, we're just staying prayerful. But God has certainly been faithful, brother. Yes, indeed. It's very exciting. Yeah, man. So I, <laughs> folks have been waiting for for more NBA commentary. Um, and I think what folks expect is they want they want they want me to have to talk about uh, the team that I kind of took under my wing, you know, last minute uh, and during this season, uh, which is the Nets. And, you know, we can go into what happened to the Nets and they obviously didn't win. But this this isn't about the Nets. You know what I mean? And, you know, I don't want to make this show about the Nets. This season was really about the Lakers. And the failure of the Lakers. And I would rather spend much more time talking about that, talking about how their failure after a questionable championship, uh, we know there's an asterisk next to that, really proves that the, the GOAT will always be uh, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. And that's really what this all this NBA talk is about. So while folks want us to go into the, the Nets, don't nobody care about the Nets, man. It's really about uh, the Lakers and their loss. I'll be honest with you, I haven't really been watching the series all that much in this championship. It's just not as interesting as I would have liked it to be. I would have loved to see Kyrie there. But, you know, it is what it is. Any thoughts on that, Chris? Oh, well, I have been watching this series. Uh, I think it's very exciting to have uh, 
these unlikely teams playing this championship. So I'm into it. Not really, uh, you know, that disturbed about who wins, but I love that is happening the way that it is. Well, I'm glad somebody gets some excitement out of it. I'm an NBA fan, but I've been I've been busy and just haven't haven't really checked out all the games. I might have caught a, a few, a little bit of, of of some of the games, but I'm just not that excited about these two teams. Anyway, we're not here to talk about sports. We're here to talk about politics and faith. So grab your Bible, get your mind right, and prepare to think, not like a Republican, not like a Democrat, but like a Christian. I, I want, and, and with that thought in mind, Chris, I want to start off with a little bit of scripture. So let's let's turn to First uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen, verses one through six, which says, "Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity." I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have uh, all faith so that I could remove mountains and I have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all uh, my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me me nothing. Charity suffereth long. And is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity uh, vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Charity here in this in this scripture really means love or, or kindness. Uh, a deep affection or benevolence for others. So in other words, though I may have gifts and do some good deeds, it's nothing if I'm not loving, kind and seeking truth for others. And believe it or not, this applies not just in church, not just with your interpersonal relationships, but it applies to our public discourse. It applies to our civic and political engagement. We're supposed to approach and listen to others with charity or with uh, charitable esteem. We're supposed to view them in the most positive light possible. Now, we can still be shrewd and discerning. This doesn't mean that we uh, must turn a blind eye to errors in doctrine, logic and facts. We know that's not what, the Ant, what we do here at the Ant Campaign on the Church Politics Podcast. But we can't presume the worst about others, especially when there's evidence to the contrary. We can't ignore parts of what somebody is saying just to make our argument easier or to maintain our narrative. According to the Bible, which seems to be minimally persuasive to some folks outside the church in the public square. But according to the Bible, we should be inclined towards judging the words of others favorably when possible. You see, we usually think of charity as, you know, giving donations and things of that nature. But it's actually broader than that. Uh, In another sense, to be charitable is to be lenient, kind and understanding towards others as you listen to them and hear them out. There is a problem if we're always interpreting other people's words in the worst way possible or drawing the worst possible conclusions from what they say and what they do. Now, my good friend is a friend of uh, Chris's, too. Dr. Esau McCauley wrote an excellent piece in The New York Times earlier this week about uh, cr- about why Christians should fight systemic injustice. If you haven't read it, you need to read it ASAP. Again, it's on the New York Times. Ta- in the New York Times, 
Uh, it's biblical. It's full of logic. And I, and I want to quote part of it because I think it fits into the conversation that we're having right now. He says this. Esau says this. He says, I wake up to messages on social media from other Christians calling me racist, communist, false teacher. Such messages have become as ordinary as my cup of coffee before morning prayer. I receive them because part of my work as a Christian theologian addresses issues of systemic injustice. I never imagined such work would be controversial. Racism, personal and societal, still affects the lives of people of color in the United States. Part of the Christian witness involves addressing this among a host of other maladies. Nearly every Christian of color I know who addresses these issues has been subject to similar attacks. Me and Chris know that no matter the nuance of our argumentation or the sources we cite. Uh, I have been accused of believing that all white people are irredeemably racist and of seeing humans as only victims or oppressors. None of that is true, but that does not seem to matter. Chris, what Esau is describing here is a lack of charity uh, among Christians when it comes to sociopolitical discourse. Uh, when someone continually says that I'm not a Marxist, I'm not a liberal, I'm orthodox, uh, and they back it up with their behavior, words, and works, but then you continue to put those labels on them because they don't agree with you, and therefore you want to paint them in the worst light possible, I would say that you're bearing false witness, and I would say that you're acting with a, a lack of charity. The ninth commandment says, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. It prohibits this type of behavior that I'm talking about. And it's not just a prohibition. I think the Bible goes further. It's not just a prohibition, but it's also a, a call to promote and preserve the truth as it concerns others. Truth is at the core of the ninth commandment. And it comes with affirmative obligations. If you don't lie, that's just not enough. Because if you enable, encourage, or excuse lies, then you haven't fulfilled the commandment. And I think this lack of charity is all too prevalent in Christian discourse, especially when it comes to race and politics. We've turned everyone into political abstractions. And as a result, we interpret their words in a way that allows us to put them in these very narrow and uh, boxes that are conservative or progressive. Um, and, and we put these in, put them in these boxes that we've created for them to kind of dumb down and flatten the conversation. Either you agree with me completely or you have the worst intentions. And if and if you present any nuance, then your nuance is really only for the sake of manipulation. Right. Uh, it couldn't be because the issue is more complicated than I, I've conveniently presented. It's almost as if. Uh, some of us are saying that there's no intelligent, honest or faithful arguments outside of our ideological opinion. And therefore, you must be a wolf in sheep's clothing if you don't admit that you're on one side or the other. It's a very uh, paranoid, fearful and cynical way to look at your neighbors and, and basically unfaithful. So when I hear, you know, when I hear some folks like even somebody like a, a Vody Balkum. Uh, say that Tim Keller or Charlie Dates or Russell Moore, these folks are liberals, even though they will tell you any, on any given day at any given time that the about the authority of Scripture, about the sufficiency of Scripture, they will preach it. Uh, they will stand on it at any time, stand on the Christian sexual ethics, stand on all these other stuff. I can't take that seriously. 
And that's a bad faith conversation that you just want to label somebody so you can dismiss them outright instead of really digging into what's going on. Right. Just because they write something uh, that's biblical, but doesn't fit the conservative ideological orthodoxy on race or on Trump does not make them liberal. And so we need to stop that uh, on both sides. That's not what's going on here. All right. That's ridiculous and uncharitable. Chris, I'm gonna go ahead and pass it before I go any further on my rant. Uh, what are your thoughts on the lack of charity in our public discourse? Yeah, I mean, I think Justin, that you've hit so many of the uh, important points. Uh, you know, sort of laying out the frame of this. I think it's really important uh, for those who are listening to to this podcast uh, to understand that in today's uh, environment and in today's discourse. Uh, this position of a commitment to charity uh, is the radical position. Um, it is important to understand that charity is uh, is not something that you exercise in 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 the spirit of reciprocity uh, per se. Uh, that is, you cannot anticipate that just because you have a devotion to it that. Uh, the person, you know, that you're dealing with in the public square is going to have that same commitment. Um, in fact, because of the situation that we are in, it won't be uncommon uh, that taking uh, a position, a charitable position on the positions that you hold um, will actually draw ire for you, both from your ideological tribe, and from the folks on the other side. Folks on the other side are going to disagree with you uh, and often in an uncharitable way because they really disagree with you on uh, on the merits. And people in your tribe will oftentimes uh, attack you because, you know, you're breaking from, you know, the orthodoxy. Uh, and so this position of a commitment to charity, uh, I think, is the the radical position uh, that we have uh, in our public discourse. Uh, and it, it is for that reason uh, that I'm sort of on this thing of, of really calling for those who are committed to charity uh, to really step forward uh, in this day and in this time. I, I think that in times past, what it meant to sort of be a moderate or what it meant to be in the middle was almost like a the average of all things, you know, to sort of be the kind of person in civic discourse that's like, hey, just negotiate everything to about the middle and everything's going to be okay. Uh, I don't think that is, uh, you know, the predominant spirit of the middle these days. Uh, I think that the spirit of the middle uh, is, is actually people who have uh, deep convictions about the important issues of our time. Uh, and we have important issues in our day. Uh, we are literally renegotiating our economy. Uh, there is this massive conversation uh, around family and uh, gender and uh, all these types of things. Uh, we have, 
real issues in our day. Uh, but I think that the moderate of our day is not the person who's like, hey, let's negotiate everything to about the middle. Uh, it, it's really the person who's like, I've got deep convictions about uh, some of these things, uh, but they actually don't land uh, and fit inside of any one tribe's sort of uh, orthodoxy. Uh, so I don't ascribe to any one of these sort of uh, binary tribes uh, wholesale. Uh, and so that's what's in the middle. And that because that is the middle, that is why it's important for us uh, in this time to actually devote to charity uh, and to those who really do commit to this charitable position, which literally just means that we will have these conversations that are difficult conversations. They're not easy conversations, but we will have them without being uh, callous and tactless because as you read at the top, Justin, uh, right, charity uh, is, is, is not uh, irritable and it, is, it does not behave unseemly. So we're, we're going to have difficult conversations. We're not going to do it, uh, you know, while behaving unseemly. We're going to keep our composure uh, and we're going to be able to be kind. Uh, we're we're going to have these conversations that are hard, but we're, we're not going to uh, set up a situation where folks don't have room and time to consider these difficult conversations and think through them um, and work through them. We're going to give people that time and that space because charity is patient. Right. So we need a middle that is devoted to this idea of patience and of of charity, I should say. Uh, And because it is the radical position uh, in today's discourse, um, and I'll I'll say this and I'll be done. But because this is the radical position in today's discourse, um, it used to be where the main disposition of the middle was relatively quiet. I mean, you sort of sit back and let things sort of play out and most things negotiate till about the middle uh, and you're all right. And and maybe you don't even jump into political discourse that much because you're not that passionate about any of the issues. Uh, Well, that can't be the disposition of the middle um, in today's political environment. For those of us who are committed uh, to charity uh, in public discourse, We actually have to be vocal. We have to be uh, visible. And we sort of have to be almost like umpires in this uh, very, very intense sport that is happening uh, and be willing to to call folks out, particularly those who are in uh, the ideological tribes that we identify with the most. We have to be willing to call folks out uh, when we do not exercise this charity. I think that today devotion to charity means not only practicing it, but also shining a light when people refuse to practice it, especially those people who we identify with um, the most. Yeah. And and charitably, uh, one of my issues with Christians who just choose a side and then never have any kind of critique for that side is you're succumbing to pressure to some extent because the tribes never want you to be charitable. They never they want to give you every reason not to be charitable. It's almost a weakness to be charitable, right? To to say, no, I'm going to hear you out and I'm going to take your word for what you're saying. Now, I'm not going to necessarily agree with it, but I'm, I'm going to try to shine as favorable a light on it as I can. And we know that the tribes have all kind of rhetorical devices and, and means of pressuring you 
not to do that. And a lot of times the folks who are just like, well, just choose a side aren't being honest about how they're actually succumbing to that pressure or they're doing exactly what usually the establishment would want them to do, which is not which is not bring up anything that they're doing wrong. So that's problematic. The other thing about the middle is I think you're right. Saying that you're moderate, saying that you're somewhat in the middle is not trying to find this squishy middle ground where you can be indecisive and not make any hard decisions. Uh, I don't think anybody can say the Ann campaign does that. But at the same time, let's be honest. When you got one side that's talking about QAnon and the other side that thinks you can have an orderly society and abolish police and everything else, it ain't that hard to find yourself somewhere in the middle. Right? Like you don't have to try and make this this huge effort to somehow find yourself in the middle of those two very crazy and unrealistic extremes. So so let's let's really be honest about that. When I'm faced with QAnon or I'm faced with uh, uh, abolishing the police. No, I'm not just going to I'm not just going to necessarily choose a side. Right. And those are extremes. But this there's a huge distance between the two. It's okay to find yourself somewhere in the middle if you're searching for the truth and how to do things the right way. That's really that's really what it's all about. Another thing that I think comes with this conversation about the lack of 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 charity when it comes to public discourse is bad faith reading. And and I just read an article that was talking about bad faith reading. I can't remember if it was quoting a book or whatever. If you guys see it, let me know. I just can't remember. I read a lot of stuff. I can't remember what it was because I didn't write it down at the time. But he starts talking about bad faith reading. You know, um, bad faith reading is when you read a statement and interpret it as negatively as possible uh, so that you can prove your point. Right. You're not interested in what the person is really trying to say, their intentions or what message they're really trying to get through. You just want to make your point as strongly as possible. And, and, I, and I maintain that that's wrong. I think that is sinful if you're doing that purposefully. Uh, again, it is bearing false witness and Christians really need to stay away from that. One of the things that happens with a, a bad faith reading is that it often dismisses nuance as fluff, as deceit as smoke and mirrors. Uh, if you don't completely refute every single element of, of, of critical race theory, then you fully support critical race theory, even though you've explicitly said that you don't, <laughs> right? Like that's the way it is. Choose one side or the other. There's no nuance. I even made a statement last week about critical race theory and got it from the other side. So I said something like, look, critical race theory is neither without merit or infallible. And people got mad at me. How could you go along with the conservative narrative about critical race by saying it's saying it's not infallible? <laughs> like to, to saying that we shouldn't follow it like we follow the gospel. That's going too far. I could say a lot more than that. And I have. But that particular statement is not saying that I'm just agreeing with the conservatives. And that's not a charitable interpretation of what I said. But people cannot handle you not completely disagreeing with every element of what their opposition said. And that, again, as I said before, is the heart of opposition centered politics. And when you have opposite opposition centered politics as your main kind of frame, then you're not going to be charitable. There's really no room for charity because it's a winner take all type thing. And you got to make sure that, that that you win and that you don't give up any ground. I'll give you another example. I could tweet something like Christians need to pursue social justice. And somebody will respond saying, oh, so you don't believe Jesus is sufficient. Hmm. I didn't say Jesus. <laughs> I didn't say Jesus wasn't sufficient. What are you talking about? I'm saying that you need to do what Jesus told you to do. 
right? That that's part of the whole conversation. And so it's it, it's this endless back and forth where if you you know critique one group, then somebody will act like you're uh, fully endorsing the other group, and their readings that people want to push you to one extreme, want to make you throw away all nuance and just embrace them, or just admit that you're completely against everything good and 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 godly. And it just has to stop. I'll, I'll let you end it. Uh, end it out, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I I, w- I would just point uh, again because uh, you you give great examples, Justin, about this. But because we're talking to a lot of uh, believers, and I know there are people who listen to the podcast uh, who you may not identify as a believer, but a lot of folks who listen to this uh, do identify as believers. I think it's important to go back again to the disposition of heart uh, that is uh, pointed out in that scripture that you read, uh, Justin and Corinthians, um, this idea of, of, of reading, uh, dishonest reading and, and looking at things in the most negative light, it goes against that addition of disposition of heart that believes all things, uh, and hopes all things, uh, and does not give up. Uh, there is no room for this in the opposition centered, uh, politics and civics because, this is based on a goal of, of reconciliation and moving forward. Uh, it's not based on a goal of destroying somebody uh, who is on the other side. Uh, and so I, I would just remind people of Jesus uh, in, in, in Matthew chapter 9, I'm pretty sure. And if I'm wrong, uh, tell me in a private message. Uh, not all out there uh, on social media, but I think it's in Matthew chapter nine, uh, where Jesus is um, sitting with the uh, uh, the tax collectors and sinners. Folks begin to question the disciples about that. Jesus uh, hears them question that. And he says to them, "Go and learn what this means. Uh, I desire mercy and not sacrifice." Um, another word for that mercy would be compassion. Uh, and Jesus says it is the, the, the sick who need uh, a physician. Uh, and so if your goal in political discourse and political engagement is actually reconciliation, is actually the good of all, is actually moving forward in positive and productive ways, then sitting with people who do not agree with you and you do not agree with them sitting with people who may be outright wrong and you, they have things that they do that you absolutely do not affirm, been able to sit with them uh, is the beginning of being able to move toward that kind of reconciliation, that kind of uh, forward progress, that kind of society uh, that we're trying to build. Um, And you cannot sit at table with people who you disagree with, and people who you do not affirm everything that they do think and say, if you don't do it in the spirit of charity. Uh, and so we have to do this because a democratic society, I really don't know how, how it continues to exist uh, if there is not sort of a revival and a renaissance uh, of this basic agreement of charity uh, in our discourse and in our engagement. That's it, man. How can we be more charitable? And if we're not committed to that, what does that say about our faithfulness and, and where our our heart and where our, um, you know, what we're really about and, and where everything is vested? We need to think about it. We'll be right back on the Church Politics Podcast. 
This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast is Justin Gibney and the Right Reverend Christopher Butler. We're kind of circling back on this one on something we talked about not all that long ago. It turns out uh, that the term cable news is a misnomer, meaning uh, it's, it's an inaccurate name or incorrect designation for what the thing really is. Because the fact of the matter is a lot of cable news isn't really news at all. And let me give you an example of that. Green, uh, Glenn Greenwald uh, recently wrote on his uh, Substack, I believe it was, he talked about how Rachel Maddow was recently sued by One America News. Now, One America News is a very, very far uh, right news organization, but she was sued for defamation after she said that they were literally a paid propaganda outlet for the Kremlin. Okay, you you can't say stuff like that about about organizations uh, if you state it as fact. So she sued for this state. They they say, wait, you can't say that about us. They sue her for that statement. And here's the interesting part. The lawsuit is dismissed. But but the but the really interesting part is why this lawsuit was dismissed. So an Obama appointed federal judge dismissed the lawsuit basically because the audience, she said that the audience knows The show is full of provocative opinions, exaggeration and hyperbole. She said her viewers don't expect what's presented to be factual. Even the things she presents as facts, she did say literally, even the things she presents as facts aren't meant to be taken factually. This this is the statement made by the judge in the dismissal. Like, I, I cannot hold her responsible for this because this show is not a factual show that anybody really takes all that seriously. Now, number one, I think the judge is giving the audience too much credit. Right. I, I think that there are people who indeed take this stuff very seriously and do believe that what's being said is factual. Now, we're not talking about a little puffery. Right. If you say I, I, these people are literally uh, a propaganda arm of the Kremlin. I mean, if, if you say that as a serious commentator or somebody that is, people expect to listen to him, that's a, a huge charge right there. Right. And I think some people would take that seriously. Secondly, this is actually the argument that MSNBC made. So the judge is going along with their argument. The judge is basically saying, no, they make a good argument. Nobody really believes this stuff is the same argument that Trump's attorney tried to make. Now, you can't hold me accountable because nobody really believes all this stuff. It's just, you know, we're just trying to this is just entertainment. Wow. Now, let me say this. Before conservatives get too excited about this, the crazy part is Tucker Carlson and Fox News had to make the same argument in a pl- in a prior lawsuit. They get sued for defamation and their argument is out of the mouths of the people who are defending themselves, this is just entertainment. They don't come for information. We're not really giving them news. We're not really giving them information. 
We're just entertaining them. I, I don't know about you, Chris, but I would feel some kind of way. If somebody is presenting themselves to me as a serious commentator or a serious uh, news person. And then they say it's just entertainment, like I don't we don't even expect people to believe what's being said right now. You could say it's a convenient legal argument, but the fact that you can even make that legal argument without blushing all over is ridiculous. And so we we told you all turn off cable news. And I just wanted to reiterate it with this story. Cable news is not news. You're not receiving information. You're receiving entertainment. It's going to make you dumber. It's going to make you more angry, enraged, divisive, um, paranoid, hopeless. They're making this stuff up, man. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's worth pointing out because, I mean, you, you cannot make this uh, more plain uh, than we have it here. These uh, news networks, I use that term loosely, uh, <laughs> made the argument in court. We are not presenting facts. Uh, we are presenting entertainment. That is the argument that both of these major news outlets used in court. Um, so if what you are looking for, and I think this goes back to the conversation we we're just having about charity. If what you are looking for uh, is to be stirred up toward uh, a lack of love and bad works, uh, then, you know, these sort of uh, news outlets might be the right place to go. Uh, but if you're looking for factual information, if you're looking for uh, relatively even-handed uh, commentary, then this is this is not the place to go. And again, we've said it so many times here, it's about practicing this good media hygiene and looking at a lot of different places and uh, trying to get your information from uh, sources that are going to be a little bit more balanced uh, and a lot more devoted to presenting facts uh, as they are understood at the time. Uh, and, you know, I, I just think that it connects to the conversation about charity because when you make these cable news networks your primary source of information, well, you're not getting information. You're getting maybe entertainment. I mean, I think it's worse than that. I mean, it is... Uh, is something worse than that because it's it's playing on your greatest fears um, and stirring you up in a bad way, right? Like it is dangerous to our discourse. Uh, it's dangerous to your goal and mine of being faithful in this civic and political space. Uh, and so it's, it's, it is not with any great uh, personal animus uh, that I come on here with you, Justin, and say, Hey, folks, don't listen to that stuff. Um, it's not with a great sense of personal animus. It's just that uh, I, I think if, if the goal is to provide you with something that is going to contribute to your uh, well-being as a Christian uh, and to your ability to participate 
faithfully uh, in civics uh, and in politics, then we are compelled because of stuff like is written in this article to warn people uh, not to look to these folks for your information. That's real. And I, I like how you as a as a true uh, preacher, you tied it back to the initial point. And, and I want to try to tie it back to the initial point as well. When somebody's just making stuff up full of hyperbole, uh, just trying to be provocative, it's no wonder that we're not charitable. So we're telling you to turn turn off cable news because it's like if you really think the other side is being led by the Kremlin and, and let's be honest, uh, progressives, because we've been on uh, uh, conservatives quite a bit today. Let's be honest. The whole show that they put on in regard to Russia, the great majority majority of that was trash and just made up. And so, while you know, you talk about the folks who are talking about the election and that's terrible, too. But y'all ran with that for a long time. And our sister Maddow, she was in the middle of that whole conversation about all how Russia was in the middle of everything. And none of it came and was actually actionable where they could really find it, any of the stuff that they were saying. But for months, over a year, people were listening to that stuff. And you, it's no wonder you think the other side is as evil as possible when you're listening to stuff like that. And it goes for the same people listening to Tucker Carlson. Look, I think both of these people are really smart. I think they could be really good and do their jobs probably better than anybody else if they had not chosen to step into that entertainment lane. And I think it's something when, when people are commentators, it's a decision they always have to make, right? It's a decision to say, do I want to get as many people watching over and over as I can? Or do I want to have integrity with how I do my job? There probably aren't too many people that can do their job better than those two people. At some point, they took that turn. And now as Christians, as, that we know they took that turn and that they basically admitted it in a court that they took that turn and they're the people representing them said, hey, this is just entertainment. Believe them. There's a poet, right? We know that said when somebody tells you they are, believe them and turn off the cable news. Last thoughts, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've said it. I, I, I would just say this. The reason uh, I'm so much on this and I think Justin is, is because our civics and our politics is not the place for this. Uh, if, if you want an opportunity to set aside uh, reason and uh, your capacities uh, for logic, um, join me tonight in watching the NBA. Uh, <laughs> that is that is where you can do that type of thing. And if you don't want to watch the NBA, find some other place. But civics and politics and government, it has too much bearing on the lives of people, which I think is the the core premise of the AND campaign, right? Is to use civics, politics, and government as a platform for loving your neighbor. There's too much at stake uh, to make this the arena in which we choose to set aside logic and reason um, and our capacities for charity uh, and those types of things. Exactly. And, and, And a perfect example is what I did with my NBA commentary today. I completely dismissed the idea that I supported the Nets and that I I made this whole story about it. That's okay to do in sports. I completely dismissed the the real uh, inquiries as to how I was going to (laughs) explain that the Nets didn't win. I completely dismissed that. And I can do that when I'm talking about sports. I'm going to we're going to talk about again my uh, sports tribalism theorem, which all that is fair game in that theorem. Guess what? If I were to really do that when I'm talking about politics and issues where people are suffering. I'm wrong. 
Yeah. It's not okay. It's not a joke. It's not funny. But too many people do that, and too often we let them get away with it. We'll be right back on the Church Politics Podcast. Are you too progressive for conservatives and too conservative for progressives? As a Christian, do you find yourself feeling politically homeless? If so, then you're not alone. Listen, this is Justin Gibney, president of the AND campaign. And if you're a Christian who doesn't know a whole lot about politics or someone who knows a good deal about politics but wants to be more faithful in the public square, then you have to read the AND campaign's book, Compassion and Conviction. The AND Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement that we published with InterVarsity Press. Whether you just want to understand the relationship between church and state, why Christians should engage politics at all, how Christians should engage partisanship, politics and race, advocacy and protest, or even civility, this is the book for you. It's very much Bible-centered. It's Bible study and small group friendly. There are questions and exercises after every chapter that give you a framework for engaging politics in a biblical way. So if you want to do it in a better way, get our book, Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast, Justin Gibney and the Right Reverend uh, Christopher Butler, this is going to be a, a fairly short segment, but I want to I want to revisit something else we had talked about, which is the overdoses that are happening in America. If you recall, we talked about how some uh, drug companies were, you know, really participated in one of the greatest injustices that we've seen in a long time and basically getting people hooked on stuff that uh, and, and, and putting it, in, it into the market in a way that was just completely irresponsible. And I saw on Breaking Points, which is one of the places I think you should go when you don't go to to, to cable news, Breaking Points, you can get that on uh, YouTube and uh, iTunes and all that other stuff. Last week, they, they, they went over this AP story that said that U.S. overdose deaths hit a record 93,000 during the pandemic last year. That's a 29% increase from the year before, and it amounts to... 250 deaths each day. 250 deaths each day from overdose. 11 deaths every hour. I want us to sit with that. These are people's children, people's mothers, people's fathers, aunts, uncles, church members. Dying 11 every hour. 250 every day. And part of the issue here was the lockdowns. Like we, we, we believe that, you know, the lockdowns to some extent were necessary. We're not fighting against that. Uh, and, and that the other, you know, pandemic restrictions, we get it. But we have to be honest about how much of an impact it had on certain people who may have already been struggling with drug abuse or maybe they were struggling with loneliness or the myriad of things that they could have been struggling with. And again, the culprit is fentanyl. We talked about that uh, again. It's a very dangerous opioid. Fentanyl was responsible for 60% of the overdoses. This is something we all have to care about. And the cultural identity, the class, and all these other stuff of the people who passed away doesn't matter. The race doesn't matter. The gender, sexual orientation of these people who passed away doesn't matter. They bear the Imago Dei. 
We've sat here and watched people in high places put these folks in positions to be exactly where they are today. How long, much longer do we allow people to get away with this? Really, without much of a penalty or punishment at all. Where do we draw the line and how do we care for the people who have lost based on, on, on this trend, man, which has to stop? Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I think these numbers uh, are tragic uh, for those of us who who say that we care about life. I think that uh, you just hit it directly on the head, uh, Justin. It does not matter about, um, you know, the, the race, gender, sexual identity, uh, any of those things. Uh, these are human beings. Uh, and for those of us who care about life, this has to be a major thing. Uh, and we have to look at issues of uh, sort of justice and accountability, right? There's a, there's a huge question around that. Almost nothing has been done. Uh, we have to look at issues of, of environment, right? Because this, this spike comes uh, in this period of COVID that is exacerbating environmental pressures, you know, unemployment, financial insecurity, uh, loneliness, uh, so how do we alleviate those uh, types of uh, of environmental things? Uh, and then I think there's a question of reconciliation here uh, because you have at this point uh, lots of communities who at different times uh, in the very recent history in the United States uh, have been um, badly hurt uh, by this sort of uh, misguided, drug policy uh, overall. Uh, and we have to sort of rethink overall uh, how we're going to deal with that in the future um, so that we protect people and and do our best to keep people alive. Uh, and so I, w- I would hope that, that these numbers that recently came out would motivate people in uh, Various places within government and various places within society uh, to to really step up and do something uh, about those big questions of of accountability, about environment, um, and then about sort of how we reconcile and move forward. Those are big questions. Uh, Christians should feel some kind of way and should feel compelled to do something about it. As always, we want to thank you all for listening. Uh, we want to say, hey, if you uh, enjoy what you're hearing, you can always give on our Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com slash church politics. You can leave uh, uh, you can rate us on iTunes or whatever you listen to and leave a comment. Tell people how you feel about it and share it with people at your church and your group and your youth groups and, and things of that nature so we can spread the word. But we always appreciate you. As usual, Ann Camp, there is a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ. Until next time, Ann Camp. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife. 
especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.